Welcome to this sermon podcast from Myo Baptist Church, and thank you for listening to today's message. We pray that God's Word will be an encouragement to you and a reminder that the Bible has all the answers to living a successful and fulfilled life. Again, thanks for listening. We now join the service in progress. My son Matt wrote that song, and in that song he ties in the soldiers that fought for our political freedom with the battle for purity and holiness and righteousness. As we express our gratitude this weekend to all of our veterans, those who gave their full measure of devotion and those who served and were discharged honorably, we, we express our gratitude to you. But this morning, I want to tie that in with an ongoing battle, ongoing warfare, for which if you are a believer, you are to be engaged. You are to recognize the battle before us as, as civilian soldiers, if you will, that we are a part of a cause. And what is at stake for this religious cause is ever bit as great, if not more so, than what was at stake for our political freedoms. The message this morning is entitled, Ye are the salt of the earth. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said the following in verse number 13, and we're going to focus on this one verse, one verse that applies to each and every one of us in this room that call ourselves Christians. To us, our Savior said 2,000 years ago, ye are the salt of the earth. Talking to Christians, talking to believers. That is said of no other people, no other institution. As important as our political institutions are, it is not said of them that they are the salt of the earth. As important as our economy is, no big business is ever said to be the salt of the earth. As important as as education is and universities are, it is not said of them. He did not say of them that they are the salt of the earth. Of you and me, ordinary everyday people, doing our jobs, trying to raise our families, trying to make a living, trying to do the right thing, of us, it is said, you are the salt of the earth. Have you given that much thought? You know, that means something. It means something that you and I need to fully understand and comprehend and know what is at stake if we don't understand this and apply it. He says, ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. He says, you and I are the salt of the earth, but if we're not careful, we can become worthless. And you ought to have a real fear of that being the case in your life right now. 
that when it comes to you being salt rather than being salt, you are worthless to be trodden underfoot. Now, there's a lot to be said about this verse. This verse teaches us that the job of the church, the job of Christians, is not to impact the church or impact Christians, but we are to impact and be an influence on the world. Let me illustrate. It'd be like a huddle in a football game. You know, 100,000 people don't pay big bucks to watch Michigan huddle, do they? If you went and you sat there for two and a half hours, you just watch them huddle, something's amiss there. What if you went to a Michigan game and you saw that, and and you watched 11 men out on the field circle and talk for two and a half hours? That's not what anybody pays to go see. 100,000 people do pay the big bucks for a ticket to see what difference the huddle makes. What those fans want to know is, having called the play, how are they going to execute it? And that applies to us. It's not about us just huddling on Sunday. It's about why we huddle. And here calling the play, how are we going to execute that play? Are we going to be salt? Are we going to influence the world as we are called to do? Or is the world going to influence the church? Which is happening probably, this is a strong and bold statement, but probably in most churches in America today, it is the world influencing the church rather than the church influencing the world. Here the Lord says, Ye are the salt of the earth. Us, regular folks. There's no kings, there's no potentates in here. There's no head of corporations. There's no movie stars, actresses. There, there's, there's no, you know, all pro this or all pro that. Regular folks. Some live on the highway. Some live on little two-trackers. Some live, in, in, you know, off of dirt roads. And you're the ones. You. Can you comprehend that? You have been qualified by the Lord for it to be said of you that you are the salt of the earth. Now, in that verse, when the Lord says, ye are the salt of the earth, we preachers look back at that, and it's been disputed whether the salt in this verse is referring to the flavor qualities of salt, or is it referring to the preservative qualities of salt? If you were to read certain commentators, if you want to know what that verse means, some will say, well, that's referring to flavor. Others are saying, no, it's referring to to the preservative qualities of salt. Well, the truth of the matter is both applications are equally true. Salt adding flavor, if you want to look at it that way, depicts us Christians adding value to the lives of the people that we touch. Salt, though, being presented here as a preservative, depicts Christians protecting the world from its moral and ethical decay. This morning, I choose to focus on the latter. Us as Christians, being called salt means that the Lord is trying to put an image in our mind that we in our everyday, ordinary lives, if you will, are here to protect the world from moral and ethical decay. 
In his Sermon on the Mount, the Lord Jesus Christ makes a very emphatic statement about us Christians. You are the salt of the earth. Now that meant something to that crowd he was talking to back then. Because salt was extremely important. It was a valued commodity in the ancient world. Because one of its main purposes was to preserve meat and fish. Of course, they didn't have any refrigeration back then. And you needed to have food. And you needed to preserve food. And salt was the means of doing that. So salt could literally mean the difference between life and death in a time when fresh food might be unavailable. In fact, we attribute certain sayings to this quality of salt, its value. When you want to stress a person's worth and his usefulness, we say that that person is the salt of the earth. You ever said that before? That person is the salt of the earth. Sometimes we we say that a person is not worth his salt because years ago, you know, uh, soldiers were paid in, in salt back in the Roman days. And if a a guy was derelict in his duties, they would say he's not worth his salt. So salt conjures up all sorts of images that we can relate to. And the Lord is saying here that we are the salt of the earth. That is an illustration that you and I can easily comprehend. I like this quote from David uh, Guzik. Disciples are like salt because they have a preserving influence. Salt was used to preserve meats and to retard decay. And Christians should have a preserving influence on their culture. To be effective, for us to influence the people around us, for us to be salt, we have to seek and we have to display a Christian alternative to what the lost world is all engaged in. We have to show them something different. We have to show them a better way through our lives. We can never affect the world by being like the world, which so many compromising churches are attempting to do today. We need to be tattooed. We need to have the body piercings. We need to have their music. You're not going to do that. We are to display Christian distinctives. Well, like, like what? Well, for example, Galatians 5.22 the fruit of the Spirit. That ought to be evident in our lives. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, and faith. Us living that out tomorrow at school or at work or around neighbors or in the grocery store, when we display those attributes, we are affecting those that we come into contact with. We are being salt. Do you have a conscious awareness of that today? Or do you take off tomorrow and just, you know, you're just going to be you. You're just going to live your life. No wonder this world in this country is going in the direction it's going in. I want to challenge you this morning to have a conscious awareness of who you are and what you are called to do. It does matter if you blow up tomorrow at work. It does matter if you laugh at the joke you shouldn't be laughing at. It does matter if you don't challenge those around you who are making fun of God. If you don't do it, who is? The Lord said, you are the salt of the earth. And I'm calling the congregation in my old Baptist church to understand that, to appreciate it, and then to live it. 
Christians, it says, this quote, exert, and this is what one preacher says, Christians exert an incalculable influence on society. Their mere presence reduces crime, restrains ethical corruption, promotes honesty, quickens the conscience, and elevates the general moral atmospheres. Christians have a moral influence on the world around them. And we affect every part of society. And if you're not having a positive moral influence on those around you, something is wrong. Something is gravely amiss. One writer said it this way. If it is possible for your closest contacts to be neutral about Christ, then there is something wrong with your Christianity. And that's what the Lord addresses. Because it happens all the time. What is that? You're to be salt. We're to be salt. But we can lose our savor. We're to be salt in that we are to be influencing people to do right and to do good. And if we're not doing that, if we're not consciously aware of that, if we're just going about tomorrow proudly being ourselves, then we have lost our savor. The Bible says it's good for nothing. I like this quote. One writer says, Plainly, we are intended to infer that nothing is more contemptible than a Christian who does nothing to stay corruption. He is a soldier who wears the uniform of his regiment but leaves the fighting to others. A physician who declines to visit the sick. And recent studies and polls have proven that many Christians, most Christians today, live their lives just like the world. That's not an opinion. That is a fact based on polling, based on research. And we wonder what's wrong with America. Has the salt lost its savor? We are to be salt. You know, history shows, history proves that our world continually trends towards decay, not divinity. The world left to itself is, itself is spinning out of control. So it's incumbent upon Christians for us to use our influence to prevent decay, moral decay, ethical decay, whenever and wherever possible. And truth of the matter is, it often, often happens on a small scale. That's where you come into play. That's where you are being that divinely appointed soldier. It's usually on a small scale where your companions or the people you're with will moderate their language. The name of Jesus will not be so easily blasphemed because you are there. You should be exerting that kind of influence. And it happens on a small scale individually. But as you and I disperse from this building later today, and we're out and about this county and the surrounding counties through this next week, if all of us are doing that, then we're exerting the influence of Christ then on a large scale. It's people at the office watching the way they talk because they know that you're a Christian. It's the guys at work not bothering to tell their dirty stories to you because you're not going to listen. 
that is influencing them. It changes their conversation. It increases their respect. I like this quote. Your life will save others from yielding to the immoral pressures by which our contemporary world is characterized. When you are the salt of the earth, you preserve society. And I realize, because I know how some of you think, I realize some of you are thinking right now, well, it's so bad out there, Pastor. They know I'm a, they know I'm a Christian, and, you know, they, they tell their dirty jokes, and they cuss, and they do, you know, it's gotten so bad out there. I understand that, but it is still right for us to be salt. It is still right for us to exert, you know, we're not, we're not going to be held accountable for them. We're going to be held accountable for us. This, this admonition is giving to you and I. We are to be salt. Being salt, folks, is a privilege. It means we can do something about the moral decay. It means that we're just not on a slide towards hell and everybody's going there and we, we can't exert any influence. Be thankful today <coughs> that the Lord says that you are salt and embrace that idea and use it and be that salt today, tonight, tomorrow. And that raises an obvious question, at least in my mind, so I pursued it in Scripture. What does that look like? How should that happen? How are we to be salt? Well, we can go to the Old Testament, way back in time. There's a Bible character that um, most all of you know, and that's Daniel. Daniel was a Hebrew man. He knew God, lived for God, served God. He was captured and taken prisoner as a slave. He was, if anybody ever was, in a hostile environment. You, you know, your, your work environment can be hostile. School these days certainly can be hostile. You know, unsaved family, unsaved friends can be hostile. So I thought, well, let's, let's look at Daniel. Because we hold Daniel in high regard. And I think Daniel demonstrates for us in very practical ways how you and I can and ought to be salt as we go about our business when we exit these four walls. Daniel shows us how to be salt. Let's look at three things. Number one, he teaches us this. We must never participate in sin no matter how tempting. We're to never participate in sin, no matter how tempting. Here Daniel is being held against his will. He is a slave. He is on bottom. But in the world's eye, good fortune came to him because he was selected to serve the king. Now that came with perks, real perks for a slave. One of the perks were, before we bring you before the king to serve him, because he thinks that you can be of value to him, we're going to fatten you up. And we're going to put everything on the table there that you want. And you can just enjoy it. The average Christian would say, this is, you know, this is fabulous. This is fantastic. Problem was, Daniel was committed and had made a vow to God that he would only eat certain things. And everything that they were wanting to feed him was not on his list of acceptable foods. He's presented with a problem. Did his flesh desire those things he's human i would think he had to you think he ever maybe thought about you know you know this this commitment i i I just kidding you know i just kidding lord you know i really 
Not, yeah, I didn't make that commitment. No, this is a man who shows spiritual depth and maturity and an understanding of his relationship with God. Verse number 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. And he proposed an alternative. You know, basically, let me eat what I know I can eat, and I can assure you I'll look good in front of the king. And that indeed was the case. But he didn't know how that request was going to turn out. We know. We can read on to the end of the story. This is, the story is developing in his life. When they bring before him all these, how, how's the king going to respond to that? Wait, what do you mean you're going to refuse my food? How dare you? You're a lowly slave? But his, his commitment, his, his, his loyalty was to the Lord. And non-participation in that sin. If you read the end of the story, Daniel rose to the top. Daniel, his, his steadfastness in living for the Lord and being sought was rewarded in the end. By, by them accepting his God. Look. Non-participation in sin is incumbent upon all us Christians. David prayed to stay away from sin. In Psalm 141, verse number 4, David prayed, Incline not my heart to do any evil thing, to practice wicked works with men that work iniquity. I'm not going to go along with them. And let me not eat of their dainties. We have to understand this morning that we, if we are going to be salt... And if Daniel models for us in a real way what that means, then as Daniel didn't participate in sin, even though he may have been very likely tempted to, as we may be tempted, he didn't do it. When you don't participate in sin, you prick the conscience of those who do. And therein lies the influence. They may get mad at you. They may be angry. Why? Because their conscience has been pricked. So understand, we must never participate in sin no matter how tempting it may be. Even if it's ordered by the boss to lie about this or to cheat this person out of this. No, we are the salt of the earth. Number two, we learn from Daniel... We must speak the truth even when others don't want to hear it. We must speak the truth when others don't want to hear it. Daniel, again, is thought of in high regard. And Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. Nebuchadnezzar can't figure out what this crazy dream means. And Daniel's called in to interpret it for him. And what Daniel had to tell him, I don't think any person would want to hear. Verse number 24 of Daniel 4. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king, that they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and they shall wet thee with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over thee till thou knowest that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will. Okay, you want to know what the dream is? 
you really want to know what the dream is? You're going to be turned into an animal. He's telling this to the king. You know, the king who can just, by his very words, have this man executed. But he's got to tell him the truth, because that is what the dream meant, and that is what happened. And we applaud Daniel for his bravery, for his his courage. And we learn here to speak out against sin, to tell the truth, is incumbent upon Christians. You're at the break table at work, you and five other people. And the conversation comes up, it could be anything, homosexuality. And everybody at the table is talking about, well, you know, I may not like it or agree with it, but if, yeah, if homosexuals want to get married, hey, no, no big deal. I don't care. It doesn't bother me. I'll pick on Ted. Then they turn to Ted. Ted, what do you think? We have to tell the truth. Amen? We have to. That's what it means to be salt. Peter and John. They were told to quit preaching. Verse number 29 of Acts chapter 4. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. That's what we're here for. Somebody's got to be brave. Somebody's got to be bold. Otherwise, the floodgates are open because certainly the ungodly are brave and bold. The Lord said, Not of Washington, not of Lansing, not of IBM, Hewlett-Packard, or Apple, not of the Army or the Navy, not of the University of Michigan or LSU. None of them are called salt. They're left out of the equation. You, you and I are to hold back evil. We're to hold back immorality. We must never participate in sin, no matter how tempting. We must speak the truth, even when others don't want to hear it. When you speak the truth, again, you prick the conscience of those who don't speak the truth. That's why they may, not always, but may get angry. That's also why they may later on come back to you and say, I respect you. I want to hear more. It depends, though, on us being salt. And number three, we learn from Daniel. We must always do the right thing, even when threatened with danger. Even when threatened with danger. Even if they make fun of us. Even if we lose our job. Don't you think God's great enough to give you a better job? Where's our lack of faith? Even if it means you might not pass that class because you're not regurgitating to the teacher who as liberal as can be what she or he wants to hear from you. We must always do the right thing even when threatened with danger. Well, you've lost my friendship. Well, I've got to do the right thing. I've got to say the right thing. 
again, there were some people plotting against Daniel. And they made up some laws that said, because they knew that Daniel always prayed to his God. And they thought, how can we entrap this guy? Okay, we're going to make a law. We're going to have the king sign it that you can't pray to your God. And, you know, when Daniel does, we'll nail him. Daniel 6.10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he knew that the writing was signed. He knew what was at stake. He went into his house, and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. He was being sought because he did influence the king and that entire nation saw revival because of him. We've got to do the right thing, folks, even when we are threatened with harm. Peter, again, was told not to preach. And then Acts 5, 29, then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. And they were salt. And you and I today are here because there were apostles back then that were salt, that spread the gospel. And those converts spread the gospel. And those converts through the years down to us. And now we know the gospel. But the Bible is very clear. There may be some, maybe some in this room, who will opt out. And there's a price to pay for that. Let me just read you this little story. It's just a paragraph. Gandhi, he led the peaceful, I suppose it was, revolt in India against the occupation of the British. Gandhi says in his autobiography that in his student days, he was truly interested in the Bible. Deeply touched by reading the Gospels, he seriously considered becoming a convert. Since Christianity seemed to offer the real solution to the caste system that was dividing the people of India. One Sunday, he went to a nearby church. He decided to see the minister and ask for instructions in the way of salvation and enlightenment about other doctrines. But when he entered the sanctuary, the ushers refused to give him a seat and suggested that he go worship with his own people. Gandhi left. And never came back. He reasoned that if Christians have caste differences also, I might as well remain a Hindu. The partiality showed by those Christians had a devastating effect on India and the world. As we have studied, they failed to manifest the sweet aroma and saltiness of the fifth beatitude demonstrating mercy. Mahatma Gandhi was also quoted as answering a missionary's question, what is the greatest hindrance to Christianity in India? And he replied to the question, what is the greatest hindrance to Christianity in India? Gandhi replied, Christians. You and I are so blessed to be saved. You and I are so blessed to have a great purpose in God's plan that we are to execute all the time, everywhere we go, 
whether we're rich, whether we're poor, whether we're highly educated or not, tall or short, outgoing or more shy, it's not an option for us that we be salt. It is a command. And how hypocritical it is of us. If on the one hand, tomorrow, I'm going to say what I say, think what I think, do what I want to do, and I'm not going to ruffle any feathers. I'll laugh at their jokes. I'll look at their pictures. I'll do this. I'll, I'll do that. You know, I, I want smooth sailing. Compare that to the individual who understands that we don't have to ride this slide to depravity. We can offer some resistance. We can offer some help. We can offer some hope. By being salt, as Daniel was salt. So, let me ask you a question this morning. How are you doing? Are you living like a Christian? Are you using your money like a Christian? Are you talking like a Christian? Are you conducting your family like a Christian? How are you doing? Are you using your leisure time like a Christian? The Bible says we are salt of the earth. And my prayer is, as I conclude, that maybe we just needed a reminder of that. Okay. It's all good people in this room. We just need a reminder. We're human at the same time. We don't aspire to upset the apple cart. We are peace-loving people. We're here to, to help people. But we need to understand that part of our help is to be salt. And it may bring some resistance. It may bring some objections. It might cost us that course that we fail. Or it might cost us our, our job. But that is according to the Lord's will, and the Lord is going to bless you for that. Let this reminder today serve to challenge us. Maybe change the way we interact with the unsaved world. We don't want to come across folks as haughty or arrogant. We're not talking about that. No, the Bible tells us to be salt, and at the same time, it tells us to be meek and humble. And it's more effective in our saltiness if we are meek and humble. So we're not talking about being arrogant. We're not talking about being holier than thou or any of that. But it does mean that we're not going to, when push comes to shove, we are not going to engage in sin. It means we are going to tell the truth when push comes to shove. You want my opinion? I'm going to tell you what the Bible says you get mad if you want to. I don't want you to get mad, not trying, but this is what the Bible says. And then thirdly, regardless of where the chips fall, let them fall where they may because I've got to be salt. And that should be encouraging to us that we can do something about it, that we can make a difference here in Northeast Michigan doing our part. The Lord Jesus Christ said of every one of us, You are the salt of the earth. But beware, you might come to the point in your life where you're just getting along, which means 
you have lost your savor. Every one of us in this room ought to fear that, that we have lost our savor. My prayer today is that as we go about our duties this afternoon, this week, that in the small little places we are in the office, working with a client, dealing with a neighbor, that in our little opportunities, we show ourselves as having not lost our savor, but being salt. And in the end with Daniel, oh, the Lord blessed. The Lord blessed in a great and mighty way. Let us look at that. Let that be, let, let us not focus on what bad things might happen, but let us be excited about what good things will happen when we are salt. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that the service was a blessing to you and that you were encouraged by God's word. If you have any questions about Mayo Baptist Church, please contact us anytime. You can find contact information on our website at myobaptistchurch.com. Thanks for listening.